We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And since uh, we last spoke, Lakers have dropped uh, back-to-back, one at Philly, one at Detroit, and what was pretty easily their worst game of the year, the night that we're recording this. I was not particularly irritated by the Philly game. I was actually quite amused that we almost pulled that one out. I've been looking at that one as a scheduled loss for a little while. And then this Detroit one, uh, we played like crap tonight. And I think that in both games, uh, both good and bad, I think that there were things to learn about this team. So I I have some of my thoughts, but Darius, I'm curious, what did we learn about the Lakers over their first consecutive losses of the season? I mean, did we learn a lot? I'm not sure if we learned a lot, honestly. No. I mean, some stuff, I think building off of the Cavs game, I think, I think the Cavs game informs some of what happened in Philly to a certain extent. And if you go back and listen to the end of the last pod where we talked some about the Philly game, some of the stuff that Mike brought up and you brought up and I brought up about defending Joel Embiid and, and some of the physicality and size that Philly offered, I thought that stuff bothered the Lakers some. Um, I thought their shot quality wasn't as good against Philly and Philly's a good defense. Um, their rim protection and all of that stuff. I don't know if we learned. It's tough to say that 
that's like new or like learned information for us though. Like I, I, I think suppose it's more of we, the puzzle being filled in, right? Like I, yeah. I view the season as a jigsaw puzzle in which we fill in a couple of spaces every game. And so I, I suppose what is more of the picture that is developing in front of you? I think some of this is like confirmed of what we thought could happen. And then it actually happened. Right. So, um, that meant to me it wasn't so much of a surprise. My reaction to both of these games was I, I thought the Philly game was super fun at the end. And I even said on on Twitter, like, I love this team because there were so many different times during that game they could have quit. Like I thought and, they were mm-hmm. and I thought there was a certain amount of resiliency that that they showed and a steadiness and, and resolve in order to sort of say, hey, we're down. 16 17 points or whatever it was and they just chipped away and chipped away and kept at their plan they executed better and they got back into the game and i thought that was important this this game against the pistons like i mean this was a dog shit game like they ran out of gas like and it was forget even the context of the back-to-back and 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 all of that sometimes you just play bad and that's just what this game was to me. Um, I don't want to make it seem like these games mean nothing because that's not the stance that I take in any of this stuff. You know me, I'm I'm a very process-based person, but Mike, like maybe I'm stealing some of your thunder here when, when it comes to, to, to some of this stuff and taking a step back as more big picture stuff. Um, and maybe we'll zero in soon on on some of the more granular things that that mattered more. But I was just like the Philly game was fun. They lost against a good team. That's that's going to happen. The Detroit game was awful. They lost against a bad team. That's going to happen every once in a while, too. These are like extreme polls, but of what is totally typical within a normal regular season. Am I off base with with that stuff? No, I don't think so. I. I was trying to direct my questions after the game and in a somewhat careful way, because my to me, what you said there in the middle, they just looked dead in the second half, like no legs, no spirit, just kind of fifth city, you know, back to back in Detroit. Why are the Pistons played last night, too? Why are they flying around this much? Just kind of they just relented to it, which we haven't seen yet uh, this year. And we didn't really see much at all last year. And so I, I tried to ask a few more big picture questions like, okay, so not to give you yourself an excuse since said this to Kuzma or in LeBron, but what is it like just being in the fifth city in which you're basically locked in your hotel room? Cause Pete, a few podcasts ago. So remember the home loss to San Antonio, that was where you, you said, Hey, this has been building and it started the second game in San Antonio. And then they just sort of eked out the wins in Memphis, right? Well, and, and that was the first time that I, it occurred to me in talking to some of these guys and texting a couple of people on the road that it just kind of sucks. Uh, it, just like when I go down to Staples Center and being in the arena. And by the way, this is all just within the NBA context, just like everybody has their job affected somehow by the pandemic. OK, that, that's the point that I'm trying to make here. And it's not a complaint. It's, it's natural. It's reality. It's going to change eventually. But I think that these guys are usually the things on the road that get you going are, okay, I got I get to see, um, you know, one of my best friends in this city, or, you know what, yeah. I really love that steak, the steakhouse when we go to this city. Hey, I, this is the place where they got the best pizza in the hotel. They delivered to the room. You know what? Uh, we got an off day. We're going to go catch a movie. 
Uh, we're we're going to go out. Let's go out. Let's go out and have some drinks some night. Those things that kind of, okay, you know what? It's, we've been on the road for two weeks, but we got, uh, we got Chicago at the end of this trip. We got new, all of these things kind of energize you. Uh, and, and that's from the players to the staff on the road. And I just, I kind of, you get the, I can see it in their eyes in these post-game zooms that they're just tired and they're, it's like in tomorrow, they're going to go sit in Boston in a hotel room and they're not doing anything. So that I'm, it sounds like an excuse. Uh, and I think it is warranted and it's not just the Lakers. This is any team that's been on the road for a minute, but that's the trend that I've seen as replicable from the one we saw the last time they were on the trip and it was four games and this is now longer than that so that's just that's just what stood out to me and i know none of that had to do with the way they play basketball no but i mean actual but, basketball. but it does though but it absolutely i, I should say let me clarify i should say like the I, I meant what i meant is that's not x's and o's stuff but it's yeah it's sure. the mental but approach to the game yeah but but all of it matters right like it, following the same puzzle analogy these are different portions of it right i don't know if you guys have we're ever into doing jigsaw puzzles, but, um, you know, working on different pieces of it, there's the human component. And then there is the basketball component of which I think there are two, like, look, this is a reality. And whether we're talking like AD's funk or a general lack of energy, or just even beyond basketball, life is very strange right now for a lot of people. And life is difficult for a lot of people. And there are dozens of way reasons for people to be down one way or another in, in their life. And just because these guys are rich and famous and, and all of that doesn't mean they're immune to that. I don't know if that applies to anybody. That said, it is part of the puzzle that of what the 2021 season is, is dealing with that malaise. And it may require different approaches toward it than previous seasons have been. I one thing I was uh, from watching these few games and from seeing the prevalence of this kind of this malaise, we talk about, you know, having to play a 10, 11 man rotation. I think these are actually games where your Alfonso McKinney's, your Quinn Cooks, I'd like to see some guys sit for nights rather than playing every single game. Uh, I, I really like to would like to see a different because I, I you don't get value out of a night like tonight where where almost everybody is like playing it at a, a muted version of themselves. Pete, my thought there, I, I had the same thought. And then I self-corrected my own thought into before the game. I thought, oh, this will be, a, since AD's not playing, this would be a great night for Kuzma. This would be a good night for Markeith Morris. This would be a good night for THT, for Crusoe, for these guys that have, like we just talked about this last pod, for KCP. They can just extend those guys to, to bigger minutes. And I think that... In, in hindsight now, though, even those guys needed, or at least a couple of them maybe needed some sort of a mental break. So I agree with you, but I I, I didn't see it the same way before the game because I thought that those guys would step up. And Kuz did. You know, he was 20 and 10, and I thought he was pretty good for most of the game, but they, they got very little off the bench uh, in that context. And Darius, that surprised me a little bit. Yeah, this was... That's why... I said what I said earlier about sometimes you just play bad. There are games like this that happen every single season that are not in a pandemic, right? And, and so I don't want to mm -hmm. dismiss every, anything that you guys said because one of the things that when you were talking, Pete, I was going to say one of the hallmarks of last year's team was like they played with a certain amount of joy and verb. Yes. Right? Yes. And that has been 
there some this season, but if you were talking about on a scale of one to a hundred in terms of the level of joy that last year's team played with, like from a game to game basis, it probably hovered between like the low eighties and like 98. Right. And some of those games, it was like at one Oh six, like they were off of the chart in terms of just the level of fun that they were having. Like Pete, I don't know if you put together this video or if, or if it was someone else, I can't remember what it was. It, it may have been some so- sort of celebration for LeBron, but there were all of these clips. Like, do you remember the clip where like he shot one of the shots from like the logo and then JaVale and Danny Green and Kuz and everyone oh, yeah, looked at the ground, right? And, and then mm-hmm. there was that game where LeBron was hitting all those threes against the Spurs and then he got knocked down on one of those and everyone like rushed over there and was sort of giving him gut punches and pulling him up or the play where, and it was last year against the Pistons because I pulled the photo for today's game preview at, at four and blue and gold where Caruso got the breakaway steal. And then he dunked and everyone jumped with him and Braun acted like he was going to block it from behind. There were moments like that all season last year. Those weren't like isolated. Those were big ones that I mentioned, but that was all year. They played with that spirit. And this year that's been dampened just a lot and whether it's the pandemic whether it's no fans which is something that mike brought brought up a bunch yeah no it's that that there whether it's like road life is crappier because you can't leave your hotel you can't go out like there's less camaraderie with these guys i would imagine just because of the lack of team dinners and all of that stuff that built in and so you could put it on that stuff for a game like this, because I definitely think from a human nature standpoint, that stuff is very real and it's likely to culminate in the fifth city over a week and a half period, right? Like that stuff is going to kick in. But look, man, I watched the 2001 Lakers go into Charlotte and play a Bobcats team that was terrible and just be like, eh, we don't even mm-hmm. care this game. And and like this happens all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so stuff like this happens. And that's why I'm not today's game. I just sort of like burn the tape. Like I don't even care about this game. And that's why when you're like, what did we learn? I think we did learn some stuff, but some of this stuff that we saw has been culminating. And maybe in the second half of the pod, we can talk a little bit more about like We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
fine tuning rotation stuff or or more like questions. I don't want to say we have answers at this point, but just questions or things that we've been pondering some about what this team has been looking like over the course of a season where their record is really good, but maybe they haven't played to the level in which we maybe thought they would in order to achieve that record. There's a, a certain aspect uh on the court that uh let's take a break when we come back i that i when i asked you guys you know what did we learn from this this is the big theme from these last two games it's really stood out so when we come back we'll talk about that credit karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions and now they want to help even more with a credit karma money spend account you can be rewarded for good money habits Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So, in short, I feel like we've been relying too much on LeBron James. And that's both for juice and effort and for shot creation, which is the on-court attribute that I want to talk to you guys about. And in terms of like the juice and effort, this game against Detroit, I thought was striking in that respect. And that's why it wasn't just a burn the tape game for me is LeBron came out firing. He had 20 points in the first half. Uh, he had like 18 or 16, you know, early in the second quarter. And that had carried on a theme. He scored 46 against Cleveland. He was awesome against Philly. From Our struggles have not been because of LeBron James. And that's ironic. So many of our conversations have been about the effort and the juice and all of that. And there's nobody that has more of an excuse to, I've got this many miles on my odometer. I'm at this year. I'm at this age, right? LeBron's the person who would, on paper, have the most reason to not be bringing the juice. And yet he's, I would argue that we've become overly reliant upon him. And it's not just in terms of effort, but also shot creation. A night like tonight with Detroit, especially right up next to the Philly game, I, I keep going back to, to Schroeder. And Schroeder, the Philly game, he struggled in the first half and had struggled the first couple parts of the road trip. And then he got to the basket like six or seven times in that second half. And I thought it was a great, like, can Schroeder play against this big or physical team? Well, hell yeah, he can if he's being a lot faster than you. And if he's burning you with speed and you're trying to square him up and he's just turning your hips every time he drives to the basket, that's going to collapse your defense. That's an important thing, right? And then the next night you have a, without Anthony Davis, 
you have kind of an opportunity and and he for and he only takes eight shots one of which was a heave um and, and is kind of passive in that mike the the incorporation of Schroeder, again, this is something that, that is a long-term project. And of the puzzle pieces that we're trying to fill in, this is one of the more complex aspects to it. Just over these last two games in particular and, and on this road trip, we've seen kind of the best of Schroeder and, and the worst of him. What, what are your thoughts on in terms of that incorporation into the offense? So first of all, in the fourth quarter, for all that the Lakers struggled in the first three and just didn't look great. They got within one point on that THT three in 88, 87 and THT, by the way, was certainly a bright spot today. He wasn't missing yeah. shots. Yeah. Uh, he was getting stuff done. That's, that's the kind of, I think thing that you need on a back to back in Detroit, you need somebody to come in and give you something like that. And so once the Lakers though, after that shot, the Lakers went into the, the most epic scoreless streak that I have seen in recent memory. I, I can't remember the last time they went even on some of those bad teams, like nine minutes uh, without scoring. So the, the three came at the eight forty mark and they didn't score again until the, let's see, was it the Kuzma little hook shot with 55 seconds left or my miss? Oh, Kaycock. Oh yeah. 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 So until the case. So, I mean, that was just, and as, so I think I, what I was thinking was along the lines of what you said, Pete. Okay. Well, nobody else is getting anything going. Where's Schroeder? You know, how about this is the time where you want to just give Schroeder the ball and let him get into the paint. Detroit didn't didn't really have a shot blocker on the court the whole time. They start this weird lineup with Plumlee and Blake Griffin and Jeremy Grant, kind of all power forwards, and it just a you know it's the it's one of the reasons why they are not a good team, and also they don't have guards as long as you stick to Ellington, which the Lakers didn't do. But they played super hard. They played really hard, and I just was like that. If all else fails, that's when you're supposed to get Schroeder or say the talent of Harold, and Harold didn't have it uh, in this in tonight in this sense. And shooter did have some pockets of good play. Like in the first half, um, he got something going a little bit. He got to the free throw line. He had five free throws, but yeah, it just, I think that the answer Pete goes back to your original point about LeBron and it's hard, especially for, I think a new guy and, and not that he's super young, but a younger player to come in and see LeBron in the court and really have that attitude uh, that, okay, I can, now is my time to go. And especially when LeBron starts the game hot, like he did. And it just seems like that may have crept in some and maybe creeping in some. And I haven't asked Schroeder about it. I haven't asked Vogel about it. I haven't asked LeBron about it, but it's just my sense from watching from afar Darius that maybe there's, maybe that's part of this mental thing where he's trying to fit, get in where he fits in and in, in pockets, they do need him to be aggressive. But yet when AD is also out there, they don't as much. Until these last two games, right? They were what fourteen and three. So it's I think it's all of those things, and it's why Pete and, and Darius like they he has to just keep staying out there and keep figuring these moments out. But tonight was a night where they needed him to do more, and uh, and he just didn't do it. He's not confident in this jumper right now, guys. And yep. when you start to lose confidence in a key part of your game, so he's not a shooter by any stretch of the imagination but the threat of his jumper is what opens up so many other uh is what elevates his quickness to being as lethal as it is 
and he can still put a big man on skates or, or, or just go by a guy. He w- was absolutely torching Danny green and any big that switched on to him in the Philly game. Um, but Detroit doesn't have a guy that can guard him right one-on-one but when you can go under on every single screen and he's not even going to shoot right like he's not even going to look for his jump shot or when he comes off of the pick and roll and the big is in drop and there's a bunch of space there and he's pulling it back or when it's swing swing and he's got an open three and he's not pulling the trigger like those things you can mask that within the context of of having other good players on on the team and i think this speaks to your point about the over reliance on on lebron pete it's because in the end you need schroeder to be a shot creator now look if he I've talked a ton about how his shot pass balance isn't necessarily where I want it, right? Um, That said, if he's going to go through like in the first half of the Philly game, and I I don't have the box score in front of me, but I would imagine he took maybe two or three shots, right? Like um, in the first half of this game, I think he he was like two for four, and had taken seven free throws, right? He had that and one, and then I think he got fouled on three other plays. Like, Anthony Davis is not in the game. So for all you want to knock about, like, Kyle Kuzma, for example, and fans love to get on Kuz, but that dude don't give a damn. The, like, AD's in, AD's out, LeBron's in, LeBron's out. Kuz is like, oh, I came off this down screen? This plays for me. I'm shooting this shot. Like y- y- y'all ran the coups action. Great. Like <laughs> I'm stepping back. Like I'm taking this jumper and there is a certain amount of confidence that you need a guy to play with. And Mike, so I think it's both of those things that, right. Like I, I, th- I think the struggles with the jumper are bleeding into his overall confidence. But I also think what Mike is saying is true to a certain extent too, that there is a, how do I fit in with these other players? And it's something that he needs to get a hold of though, because THT came in too. And he was just like, I don't give a damn. I'm playing next, next to LeBron. He threw the ball up court. I'm supposed to run for a layup. Nope. I'm pulling up and shooting a three. Like, in in an early offense situation and there's just an a certain amount of like where's where did his swagger go because in the first 10 10 games of the season this dude looked like oh my goodness this guy let's extend this guy because he's a player now he's still competing defensively but on a night like this the lakers needed offense and Schroeder's supposed to be that guy he's supposed to be the third scorer and tonight he was sort of like mia for most of it i'm with you on most of that the only thing i want to say is i think the shooting is related or, or it's less about confidence in the shot than it is just about confidence knowing that he can shoot in the team dynamics So I don't think he's out there thinking he's not going to hit the three if he pulls up. I just think that he's not sure if he wants to take the three because he doesn't know if, if, yeah, he's, so 
you get what I'm saying, Pete? Like those things are related, but I don't know if it's not to me, it's not a mechanics issue, you know? No, let me, to piggyback off your point, Micah, is Schroeder's in the middle of a stylistic transition. He had, has always been a bench guy for the most part. And the start of games is different style of play almost all of always than bench minutes and bench bench basketball is more open court. It's a lot more ball screen centric. Um, it's a more wide open style of play. It's less structured with the Lakers starting lineup has an excess of structure that I actually think is a, is a good thing. And it's part of why when they're, sharp they they can they're surgical in their approach right you've got the ability to run your delays and elbow series with mark as your as a passer up to, at, at the top of the key or at the elbow uh post sets with lebron and ad who's improved a, a lot as a passer there are different styles of play but it's all very structured whether it's a post up or it's a a, a, a touch for mark or even a ball screen for lebron and pete those are lebron offenses in general right like he yes. is a tactician at the ultimate level. And so fitting into that is also a thing too. So, so keep going. That's right. But it's not as free flowing and you don't always know where your shots are coming from, which speaks to your point, Mike. And, and here's the, here's the rub of it. So the way that Schroeder plays and Pete, this is, I'm glad you brought this up. He's so used to coming into a game and immediately the team needs his shot creation and his action. And Mm -hmm. this is why if you would have asked me before the season, what my ideal starting lineup would have been, it it wouldn't have included Schroeder because I would rather have that shot creation alternate LeBron because for all we want to say that it's good for LeBron to have more shot creators and all that. And, and I Pete, how many times did we talk about that last year as if it were this big problem? And I know I was on the other side of that. I right. thought that it was going to be fine. But <laughs> right, right. Like, it just, it just, <laughs> this year it was almost the opposite. It's like, Oh, LeBron doesn't have to do as much. G- great. But He's LeBron James. This is what people have to understand this. If he's on the court, he's LeBron. He's going to be the, the main generator. He's going to be the main engine. And so not that you can't have them play together, which you can, but they're they're better off with just a guy like Danny Green last year who's going to shoot threes or you know, even if it's Kuz or Caruso, whatever. Mike, th- about, I, I don't want to say it's half, but 25 30 percent of the possessions that Schroeder brings the ball up you know what he's doing he's bringing the ball up and then he's basically making an entry pass to LeBron who's standing around the hash mark right Alex Caruso could do that KCP could do that that's basically the handful of possessions that Avery Bradley bought the brought the ball up last year that's what he did right now Schroeder's a more dynamic player within the context of half court offense and we saw that in the second half of the Philly game where he shared most of his minutes with with LeBron but was super effective just getting to to the cup and so there is a balance that exists within this and his skill set is certainly super useful within the context of of this team's big picture success but the night to night, what his role looks like may be impacting the psychology of how he's approaching the game. And, and if that shifts around too much, it can be problematic for certain players. Um, And most players counter that by basically saying, I'm just going to do what I do regardless, but maybe that, that is, I don't even want to say maybe I bet that's trickier when it's a, like I'm playing next to LeBron and AD and I'm the new guy. And the thing that 
when it's playing my way, it's going to be I'm just going to shoot the ball and have the ball a lot. Well, and it's also like how I get the ball and where I get the ball are in these structured places, right? Whereas whenever shooters played in the past, it's give give him the ball, right? And, and let him create. And I actually think that there's a certain degree of value in the Lakers playing that way more than they do with the starting lineup. You can, it sets you up for the ability to have, you know, LeBron James is the ball screener and him rolling to the basket. You can have AD and Mark popping out. And so if you're pulling, if you can pull offense or defenses away, and this is something that as the season starts to build on itself and as you start to build toward playoff concepts with AD and Mark having a four and five in your starting lineup, being able to pull the biggest defenders away from the basket while LeBron James is rolling to the basket or attacking in some way, shape or form. That is, I, I, I see the approach of wanting to incorporate Schroeder into a complementary role because in the playoffs, when AD and LeBron get a higher volume of of the touches, then he's going to be need to be able to fill that role. But I also think that even come playoff time, that having Schroeder get experience with having the ball in his hands, despite sharing the floor with three other guys that can create offense in LeBron, AD and Mark, I think there's value in that too. And I would like to see Vogel turn the dial up on that more than anything. Kuzma said after the game that Jason Kidd told him in the playoffs that the regular season is just essentially just practice for the postseason, And that sucked him. And we know that. And Last year was a little bit different because the Lakers had this something to prove the whole year. And we've uh, we've we've kind of been over this. But the way that what you just said hits me about it is Frank, there are optimal lineups that he knows he has and they're not going to use them all right now to try to win that game in Philly. Even they, they tried to use it in the fourth quarter to win it. But same thing tonight. Like he, he and I and I think it's the right approach. It was because even last year. They didn't use optimal lineups in the regular season very often. They just didn't. Uh, otherwise, they, you know, it, 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 like they, and Frank knows what they are, but he's, he's got this theory about the way to keep guys engaged so that he can deploy them um, when needed. And then also, since he's, he, it's like he's building up credit with all of these players. There isn't a player right now on the Lakers bench that would be like, God, man, that vocal's just screwing me over, man. This is beat. Like, and that happens a lot uh, in, in any sport. But he's 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 doing that. So then if he has to bench JaVale for a series last year or he has to bench Dwight or he has to bench Keith or he has to bench uh, whoever or he has to increase somebody's minutes, he can do all that. And I think that there's there will be a time uh, that where we're going to have those type of arguments, Darius, about, all right, like now it's time to cut this thing to nine. Some somebody's got to be out. And if they don't like it. Too bad. And if, and by the way, if shooter, if it's not clicking with the starting lineup, and he's not, then he's going to the bench and welcome to your six man role. And if, and if Caruso's like that stuff, it, but it doesn't have to happen now. And they may lose a couple of games because of it in, in the short term. It's tricky, man. And it's one of the reasons why as much as we can play head coach on, on a podcast, it's much harder to actually be a head coach when you have to navigate the full board. Right. And you have to navigate the locker room. You have to navigate the front office. There's a lot of stuff even. So, look, I'm not saying that this is happening because, A, I'm not an insider and I'm not sourced and all kinds of other stuff. But look, man, like Trez is a free agent. Schroeder's a free agent. 
coming into this season. Caruso's a free agent. THT's a free agent, right? And those are just four rotation players. All of them, in theory, could have a future with this team in a meaningful way if things break right. And there is a certain management of that that I think matters, right? Like we talked, there was a lot about how we talked about like, why isn't AD playing the five last year? All last year. At one point, we were just like, look, man, like just start Dwight. And then AD will play half the game at center, basically. Dwight will play the rest. And JaVale could be the break in case of emergency guy. But no, that's not what Vogel wanted. You know why? Part of, And you know what partially influenced that is because AD didn't want to play that much center. He played a ton of center during the postseason, but during the regular season, Frank did the right thing and he and he managed his innings, so to speak. Right. And I'm not saying there's some of that going on with Schroeder in terms of let's start him because that's what he wants. Or I'm not saying that's what's happening with Trez in terms of giving him a bunch of opportunities in the fourth quarter where I might, in theory, play Gasol more or go smaller more. Right. Like there's a bunch of decisions that in theory could win you an extra game or two. And I'm not opposed to doing some of that stuff a little bit more, Mike. Like I, I, I got on my soapbox a little bit today on Twitter for Alex Caruso because like I'd prefer he be a three shift player. I'd prefer that he be in the 20 to 25 minute range or 22 to 25 minute range rather than in the 16 to 20 minute range which is where he's currently at now and I, the only way you get there is by one extra shift but finding that extra no, shift, no arguments here no arguments from your pete there i don't think but finding that extra shift is going to come at the expense of another guy and there is management there that you have to deal with as the head coach in terms of just navigating that and so i don't envy vogel and pete you were on this super early in terms of when we when this roster was full fully formed and you're just like look man like i think vogel's job is harder this year than what it was last year he's got more guys who need to play and more talent and and they just won a championship and so the disease of more or the disease of me that stuff creeps in with a bunch of new guys do you like all of these personnel groupings that you're seeing if there was one thing that you could change is there something that you would or is it just sort of like you get it big picture like mike was saying i mean there are a bunch of things that i would do differently a little bit here or there i think that his big picture concept and using the regular season as he does to both keep guys engaged, but also not necessarily rely on the lineups that you know work, but it like he did a lot of lineup experimentation in tonight's game. We had some, when LeBron was on the bench, we, we tried for some really our, our fastest lineups that we could put out there. There was one lineup where Wes was playing the four and it was like KCP, Caruso, Schroeder, Wes, and Trez. It's a small lineup, but fast as hell. And they were good in the first half. I, think they played in the second half. I can't remember which group kind of started the avalanche downward, but um, the second half, they had Kuzin instead of one of those other players. Thank you. That's right. And yeah. And so that's in terms of things that I would change that, that, that all forwards lineup. I don't think 
I don't see the value in continuing that there. And if we're looking for more Caruso minutes, maybe that's a place where like Caruso instead of Wes or, uh, you know, Caruso, he could go in for, for Keefe. Um, I would like to see less of that lineup. Um, but for me, it's less about like, I'm fine with whatever Vogel wants to try out. And I think that that's what this part of the season is for. And him doing that last year was part of why we were that wonderful shape-shifting team of last season. The problem is, and the difference is, is that last season we were getting the most out of most of our games under very different circumstances. And I acknowledge that, but we're having too many games where it's like, "Ah, I don't think that we got much out of that when there are so many different elements and, and new dynamics on the table that I think that, that even if it means a McKinney getting run or Dudley when he's healthy or, or Quinn, or just, I'd rather see guys sit and then have, you know, a little three, four days off when you're on the road and it's your fifth city in, in two weeks. Right. And all of the things that go along with this, man, take it, take some time off, like whatever you need to do to get to the point of where you are able to bring more of the juice that that should be how we're relying on our depth. Mike, that's one, one thing that I'd like to see. So, Pete, I get the idea of that, but that's it's just not practical and you can't you don't think ex- so you don't think it's you can you can't that? execute that with personal with people. You just can't like if I if you told me, hey, Derek, hey, Mike, you know, man, it's a long season. You're busy. You know, you got three kids at home. I think I'm, I think it'd be probably better if you just didn't do the pod this weekend. You know, just just for sort of continuity sake and Darius and I, you know, look, like we kind of mix it. I want Darius to talk a little bit more. No, you don't. Then, you know what I'm saying? That like that, it's not, it, it might make some sense to do it, but when you have to bring that to the person, so this leads to the way that you started this whole thing and why Frank has a difficult job. And it's why, so the three of us between how much we watch the team, it's our job in a sense, Darius has another real job, but it is our job to really follow this closely. And I just by nature of being on all these Zooms and stuff, I'm following it pretty closely and have for many years. And I, Frank Vogel, in this case, as a, as a coach, especially after last season, that's won it is right so much more often than anybody who has an idea on Twitter about who to play in what rotation. They know, like these guys know because what they mix in is the personality stuff in the locker room and how a guy acted at shoot around when they suggested a lineup switch and how the film room Shout out to the film, how the film room went when he pointed out a mistake of this guy and how and how maybe, you know, I don't want to use Shooter as an example. This is total made up, but maybe he saw the way that Shooter was looking in the film room for a week. So all of that stuff, he has a much better grasp on than even we do. I've always said that there is so much that happens within an NBA team that matters in terms of decision making that we have absolutely no idea about right right? Mm -hmm. that and we wouldn't even have the first clue about how those things are developing or progressing because we don't even know they exist in the first place it's like a whole secret world of stuff that is going on behind the scenes and none of us even the most informed source person unless you're like a family member of one of the players probably will ever have insight to any of that stuff 
just to piggyback on Mike's point, though, it'd be one thing if it was a player who was sort of bringing up the idea, right? If Mike came to us, Pete, and said, hey, guys, you know, like, it's going to be a busy week for me the next couple of weeks. How about instead of like me being on on every pod, I'm just going to do one pod a week. And then can we make that work? What would that look like? How do like how do y'all feel about that? That's one way that the situation that you're trying to raise could work. Like if if Coos or Keith came to him and was just like, hey, you know, I'm feeling X, Y and Z about this. Maybe THT could get more run or or this is how my body's been feeling. How can we make this work? It's another thing to to as the authority figure to bring that idea to the player. Like, I think it's tricky, basically. And I don't know how you bring it up with it being like a communal idea in the way that something like that would would have to work. Maybe that's just me being off. Can can you talk about it? A little I'm bit not. More? Yeah, I'm not talking about something that's on the fly or just kind of based on like a, a, a conversation that day or something like that to me. for So, for example, right, we've got a quick turnaround. We've got a deep team, a lot of guys who could play. If I'm looking at, and and this is just a different approach, so I understand they don't make, they have shown they don't want to do this in the first place. Is if I'm looking at the schedule two months ago, and I see a seven game road trip, and we've got Philly, Detroit back to back, and then Boston third and four nights. To me, that I, I'm circling that Detroit game and saying we're sitting a few guys that night, a, a few of our, our major minute guys. This is where and that's just a night where in advance we're planning on on doing that. Is that something that you think is a tenable like pop? This is something Popovich would do all the time. Right. Uh, would and I, be sitting. Uh, he did, he did is this something that, even, that, that Kerr would say? Right. It's against the spirit of the game. It's against the spirit of a of a team. It's an insult to the fans. Uh, I, I just don't, I just, and I think it's a slippery slope. And also a lot of what you're asking for is going to happen anyway, just based on minor injuries. And so that's what happened today with AD. What, like what you're essentially AD could have played today. I, if it were a playoff game, if it were a finals game, um, he had a bruise quad and they said, well, okay, factoring in it's a back to back, et cetera. So if, you know, like when KCP had the ankle turn, he might have been able to come back a couple games earlier. He missed four games. Like KCP is seems like a robot in terms of injuries and how he deals with them. So I think they are. You're going to have attrition. Yes. Taking that. They already are taking the conservative when they can, except for LeBron, who wants to play. And he says, I'm playing. It's a back to back. I'm playing. So I just I think it gets dangerous there. And uh, uh, Darius, I got a I got a point from last year about Ronda, but to hop in on this quick, because I, I know you have a related thought here. No, I was just going going to say that some of this is culture based based off of LeBron's mindset. That was the only thing that I was going to add. He is a nah man, like no one's resting. I'm not resting. I don't even get tired. He said that in today's right. post game. Like I get my rest. Mm-hmm. I do my treatment. Like I don't even I don't feel tired. What's that? Yeah. You don't you don't want to you don't want to let the mentality that we are we are trying to look at this you know, like the puppet master. Big, you can't let that mentality creep into a team. It's not, like, the, but it's a bit. guys off days and rest days when it's probably not going to work out in practice anyway, based on injuries and based on who's playing well and based on rotation. 
this is a balance and spectrum though to me too it though it the the mentality i don't want to creep into is that we can coast through so many of our games where everybody is getting the same minutes and we're we're just going out there and it's we're we're going to coast through every game and play it the exact same way and not have like we need to be going but, but not- if, it, if it takes putting Alfonso McKinney out there or someone like that, we need to be playing with a certain yeah, amount of Dudley. juice to be productive. Dudley had the one game where he helped there, but but here's the thing, and this is this is getting back to sort of annoying uh, big picture, Mike. They are for the most part doing that. Like the reason the pandemic plus the no fans plus the long road trip. Okay, that 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 has crept in right now in the conversation, but they are still doing this much better than most teams in the NBA overall from an effort standpoint, from a fatigue standpoint, they're fine, especially relative to the other teams. I think we're a lot more talented than the other teams in the NBA, but fair enough. Yeah. Well, that's sure. Which is why they still have what the third best record in the league after a two game losing streak. So yeah, but here, the, the last point I wanted to make about Rondo uh, was really it's about Frank Vogel, but it has to do with Rondo. And this is the rotation. The one thing, and I, I try to, to be so on top of stuff with the team that I don't have to, that I, that I like don't have to admit to myself that I was wrong. Basically I don't, I don't want to be wrong so that I have to acknowledge it. Right. And the thing that I was right. most yes. wrong about last year, I think we all share that to an extreme, right? Sure. Uh, the last year, the thing that I was wrong about was Rondo all year and Frank Vogel for reasons that we couldn't really see, even though I was close to it and, you know, on the plane and in these locker rooms, I just couldn't quite see why he was playing more in a lot of these games and why Caruso wasn't playing more and why whatever, what, and just, it, it just wasn't there. He was hurting them actively And Frank just all year was like, no, I got this, like hold my beer. And it came around into fruition. So that's just that's that to me was the most direct example of even all of us. It seemed like Lakers Twitter collectively had the same opinion by the end of the year. And he he just managed that based on what Darius was saying earlier, all of these things that we don't know about. And that's the the element of trust that I think he has. The, the He's getting the handle on what to do with this team. That's a little bit harder for us to even get right now. So this is where I see sort of both sides, because I think, Pete, the point that you made about the Lakers being more talented and their relative effort that they've played with, like, I think it can be both things. I think what Mike is saying can be true, that maybe it is compared to the rest of the league, like they are sort of above average, right? I wouldn't say that they're at the top of the league, but let's just say that they're above average. They're not yeah, I mean, like they're at the top of the league right now, right? Like Tibbs has them, like they're all just playing like it's their, you know, the final four right now, every game. <laughs> right. Yeah. And look, some of this is too, it's like the Lakers know that they're talented. And so they know that they don't have to play as hard every single night. That said, last year's team was super talented too. And they brought it in a way last season that was super endearing to everyone. Right. And I'll circle this back to the point I made earlier, just about the joy, the joy that they played with last year, totally translated to the fans, too. Right. And I wasn't in the arena. I was at home on my couch the same way I am this year. Right. It might as well have been a pandemic in November of last year, too, because I was in the same exact place, watching these games the same exact way that I am right now. And you could feel it through the TV screen. And it wasn't 
the fans that were that I felt it was now maybe the fans were inspiring the players, but it was the sense of like, nah, man, these guys want it. They want it right now. And the level at which they were competing was just higher. It like, it's just clear that they were playing harder for longer stretches, that their engagement level was better, that their execution level was better. I think this year's team is more talented, but they do not play as hard from a night-to-night basis. And I think that even... Neither has any any champion ever. No, look. You're right, you're right. So, yes and no, right? No, no. Those seven, no, 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 no. Those seventy-three win warriors <laughs> came out and kicked everyone's asses, Mike. Now they did not win the finals. Draymond Green fucking punched LeBron in the nuts, and then they lost, right? And so that team will forever be scarred by the fact that they lost after being up three, three, one. That team won the championship in two thousand sixteen, and then came out and won like twenty-six straight games. They were clearly saying. F you and and the 72 win Bulls did the same exact thing. Now, look like that's not going to be every team. It's not going to be every team. And, but I just want to make the point that it's not every championship that comes back and decides that they're not going to play as as hard. Some teams say, you know what? We're going to freaking step on your necks. And I think to a certain extent, Pete. When we started this year, one of the things that you said that has not come to fruition, and I'm not saying this to like to to like rub your nose in it or anything, but you said one of the things I hope happens with this team and that I could see happening with this team is that they rally around the collective competitiveness that they have in order to be a great team, right? LeBron's competitiveness, AD's competitiveness, the dog that's in Schroeder and Harrell, and we talked about that with Wes Matthews and, and Caruso and on and on and on, we talked, Mark Gasol, we we went on and on and on about the collective competitiveness of this team and how we thought that could be a rallying cry for them to come out and be dominant, right? And now the Lakers have had the best record in the league. They were best in net rating. They had the best defense. And I'm telling you, when I said the other night on, on like like on Twitter, I love this team because when they actually put it together, they're going to be devastating. But they have not put it together yet, and they're nowhere close, and they're still this good. And so in the big picture, that's where I'm with Mike. But in the game-to-game stuff, it's like they're not there yet. And at some point, at nearly 20 games into the season, you have to start to wonder, like, when are they going to turn it on? And it's frustrating a bit. It just is. And see, I'm not so much frustrated at this point. There are a lot of reasons, I think, to be in the place that that we're in, um, it, and which is not a bad bad one whatsoever. Uh, I see a lot of experimentation, and my so Vogel has an enormous amount of benefit of the doubt. Anything that I ever question or suggest uh, otherwise, like hey, what I think we should be trying this or uh, th- you know this idea or whatever. These are this is part of the 
seeing if this piece of the jigsaw puzzle fits with that one instead, which is in a large part what Frank Vogel is doing. He's just got a different concept of what it is and a, and a better one and a more complete one. Like you said, there's all of this, these things that we don't see, but operating on the incomplete information that we have, I do see the final product of us not kind of getting where we are capable of getting, even within the context of reasons that it's not going to look like the NBA playoffs or the NBA finals. So that is part of the challenge of this year. And it is part of why Vogel's job is more difficult. So anyway, let's, let's wrap it up here. There's plenty of other places. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me get in. Let me get in my final, let me get in my response to Darius here. Um, Cause it was a good, it was a good point that he made. And all right. So you mentioned the Warriors, right? That team after they won was still getting hate from everybody. Oh, it's a shooting team. Nobody really bought Steph as the MVP as the best player. Like they had a unique chip on their shoulder that year because the league, whether it was inside the NBA or whoever, just didn't buy in. So that was their, no, no, we're, we're real. Like this is legit. It was their, it was their F you. And I, so you're totally right to cite that, but I think that's an exception. And the, the place that I learned that was from Kobe and from like who in Phil Jackson, who said it gets harder and Pat Riley every year is harder. Same thing with those bulls titles. It got, it gets harder and it's for obvious reasons. The targets on your back, everybody else is playing harder against you. The disease of me, the disease of more, all that stuff. That's all I'm saying. And that happens most of the time. Um, that, so that's where we, we called this in the preseason. We said, it's not going to be as easy. They are, they're, they're and especially without the fans to at least go them on. And so that to me is what they're seeing. And it's why I'm not frustrated or disappointed or anything like that. It's that we should expect this. In fact, I, I, they're at, they're honestly playing a little bit better. Again, take out these, these last two games have been a little bit, um, it puts us in a harder place for this argument, but it's been a, it's been a little bit better than I expected. So uh, you feel free to respond uh, to that, but that's, um, that's where I'm at with it. That's all fair to me. And, you know, I got a little bit excited and animated there at, at, well, well at the end, I would just say that my overall perspective, Per, well, perspective is not frustration. It's more of understanding. I'm saying that more like in the moment of particular games or stretches of particular games, I just want more from them For at sure. certain times sure. because you want them to live up to what you envision them to be as being such a good team with such high level players. And we just saw them compete at a level just a few months, months ago that really sort of blew me away for what they they could be and coming back as a strong stronger group you just want that dopamine rush of seeing that again and again and you understand in the big picture that you're not going to get that each night but as someone who again talks a lot about habits i want to see some of those things start to build on top of each other just from an effort and engagement level night to night in terms of like what is our identity and what are we going to be as as a team and that stuff has been more up and down this year than what I would prefer and, and that's sort of where I'm at with this team while understanding big picture they have the ability to be so freaking good that they cannot be at their best and still be right at the top of the league in so many different areas Please just 
beat the hell out of Boston on Saturday. That's all I ask. All right. Until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's game. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around right. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right. in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.